Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm great, Keith. How about yourself? Good. Um, uh, uh, We have not spoke, I think, since the last time we recorded the show. That's crazy, but that's what happens when you are in different countries. Yeah. Or, you know, we, or we're just working remotely because funny enough, we record the last few shows remotely, even in when Los we, Angeles, in, yes. even in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah so, you're correct. So uh, all of the all of the reactions and repartee today, completely fresh. authentic, and fresh, fresh, certified, 100 um, percent fresh. Yeah. No, no Rotten Tomatoes here, Um, because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Kate Bush's surging running up that hill climbs even higher on the Billboard Hot 100 chart following its newfound success thanks to its placement on Netflix's Stranger Things, and how Post Malone gets his fourth straight top five charting album on the Billboard 200 with his new studio set, 12 Carat Toothache. Plus, how Prince gets his 33rd Top 40 album on the Billboard 200 with Prince and the Revolution live. And, somewhat unbelievably, it's Prince's first live album to ever chart on the Billboard 200. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Um, Also on the show, we're talking all about Britney Spears' wedding last week to Sam Asghari, where she was surrounded by very famous friends, including Madonna, Selena Gomez, Drew Barrymore, and Paris Hilton. We'll talk all about why this was such a special pop culture moment in just a moment. Plus, Jennifer Hudson secured her EGOT status on Sunday night's Tony Awards. And on today's show, we'll take a look at what other pop shop favorites are close to joining the American Idol alum in this elite club. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. You know, some might say that Jennifer Hudson is an egoit. She has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar idol win, you know, champion. And she doesn't Tony. actually have an idol win. Oh, you're right. <laughs> she is fallen short of the egoit. <laughs> she 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 is the American Idol contestant that everyone assumes won American Idol. 100%, but she also Absolutely. not only didn't win, she finished like 5th or 6th that season. It was the season Fantasia won, which Fantasia a fantastic idol champ. Can't, can't cannot decry that, but there were some questionable questionable people who survived past a now egot winner Jennifer Hudson. Who was in that? So she was fifth or sixth? I think fifth. Who was ahead of her that wasn't Fantasia? <sighs> well, why don't we just go ahead and look? Was that Bo Bice's year? No, that was Carrie's year. No, that's year. Carrie Underwood. Jennifer Hudson, seventh place, everyone. Okay, seventh. well, that's even worse. Uh, John Stevens was the next eliminated. Then George the, Huff. The redhead, the redhead skinny uh, pale white boy. <laughs> yeah, who had the kind of like crooner voice. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then George Huff, who I actually really liked. He had a really lovely voice. Um, Latoya London. And 
Jennifer Hudson, Latoya London, and Fantasia Barino were all kind of like on the bottom. They were, they were, and yes, and they were all put together as kind of like the divas of the season. And yes, they were all in the bottom the week that Jennifer went home. Such. Um, So Latoya was fourth place. Jasmine Trias was three, who's kind of like this Disney princess type girl, beautiful, you know, lovely voice. Diana DeGarmo, who we all know, second place. And then Fantasia Barino. I think that the only saving grace of Jennifer Hudson leaving that early on the season is that Fantasia won. I think that that week scared America into like voting for Fantasia and supporting Fantasia in J-Hud's absence. Yeah. Wild. Okay, so that was our uh, detour. We'll come back to J-Hud in in just a second because we have to do the chart chat. Yes. Um, First up, Kate Bush's resurgent song, Running Up That Hill, which, of course, exploded back onto the charts last week, uh, including the Billboard Hot 100, uh, re-entering at number eight following its prominent use in Stranger Things, hits a new high on the chart as the track climbs to number four. It posts gains in streams, sales, and even airplay. Notorious airplay usually is lagging far behind on these viral hits. Oh, no. All that said, um, the Hot 100, as a reminder, is the 100 most popular songs in the United States of America based upon streams, airplay, and sales. Um, So it's the number four most popular song in America uh, for last week, but it is the most popular song in America the world oh wow according to us uh it jumps to number one on the billboard global 200 chart as it jumps three to one uh and uh yeah this is craziness Um, it really is we had a feeling it could it could reach higher but it's still wild to see it is and you know of course i think you know we naturally wonder and we sort of did this last week. But we wonder, you know, could the song go even higher on the Hot 100? Could it actually be a contender for number one? Oh my gosh! Well, time will tell. Yeah. But I earlier today I glanced at just as indications. I glanced at the ever changing and constantly updated Apple Music uh ranking of the most streamed songs in the US. And this is what like when you go to Apple Music's platform and you click on the button that's here's like, oh here's the top one hundred songs they have in their live charts. It's their live charts. So it just gives you a general indication of how the song is doing. It was number four. By the time you hear this it could be very different. Also Apple Music leans heavily towards hip hop, Latin, um kind of rhythmic songs. And the three songs ahead of it right now, at the time of this recording, were two Bad Bunny songs and a Future song. Hmm. Um, Over on Spotify, for the top 100 songs right now that are being streamed in America, it was number one. So it doesn't feel like this is going away. uh, No. And it feels like this could hang on. And as we sort of pontificated about it, it could be a we don't talk about Bruno type of hit perhaps so crazy i think i think what will not happen with this is that we don't talk about bruno really profited from incessant replays as katie can attest to for anyone with children yeah anyone with kids who are going to play it over and over to sing along to in the house we're still doing it over here <laughs> we don't talk about bruno still number one in our house <laughs> um all right well there, there's your update on kate bush um also want to point out I hinted at this. It is picking up in radio airplay, um, and radio is often late uh, when 
kind of jumping on these viral hits, especially when it's a viral hit of an old song, um, as this is. The song originally came out in 1985. Uh, The track debuts at number 26 on the Alternative Airplay chart, Mm -hmm. and it's bubbling under on the Pop Airplay chart, Adult Pop Airplay, Adult Contemporary, and Adult Alternative Airplay charts. Um, I think we mentioned this last week. Uh, the record label, I think Rhino is is working, is promoting this song to radio, and they're actually actively promoting it to radio. So um, that's also a key thing. Like if the record label or a record label doesn't kind of get behind a song like this, it usually sort of uh, flounders. So do I don't we know, know. We could actually sit on the charts next week. Do we know if it's like a remastered version of it or anything? I mean, we're talking about a song uh, that is, you know, almost 30 I mean, years old. I, no, more I, than I, wait. I actually thir- don't 35 know. Thirty-five years. How old is it? Eighty-five. So 80, thirty-seven. Oh, 1985, Yeah, thirty-seven years old. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a special version or remastered or a version that has Stranger Things dialogue woven into huh. it. Like, remember when, remember yeah. when that was a thing way back in the day? Titanic. Titanic. My heart will go on. There was yeah, a version that's of that the example. There, there was a version of um, um, was it? What was the song that used dialogue from Friends in it? That became. I, think I mean, India, maybe? it wasn't. Oh, oh my God! I do sort of remember that. Like only time, or it's not actually called only time, right? Or is it only time? Yeah, and then, and then I think wasn't only time. Then revived later around nine after nine eleven. Yes. Oh man, radio was wild. wild radio back in the day was wild. Um, all right. Well, next up over on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention this. Harry Styles, as it was, is still number one on the. High I 100. actually wondered if I had heard you say that. Yes, as no, it was, no. continues to be number one. Just got so excited about Kate Bush. Um, <laughs> all right, on the Billboard 200 albums chart, we have a not really new number one, but it's a number one that was not number one last week because Bad Bunny's. How do we say the album title, Katie? Um, Verano Sinti. <laughs> yes, yes, that was great, Keith getting better uh it bounces back to number one for a second week atop the list a second non-consecutive week at number one it debuted at number one five weeks ago spent the next three weeks at number two and then jumps back to number one this week meanwhile post malone's new album 12 carat toothache debuts at number two on the billboard 200 giving posty his fourth straight top five charting album it launches with a little over I think it's right around 121,000 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending June 9th, of course, according to Luminate. Bad Bunny's album, however, had 137,000 units, um, and it was even down 3% week over week. We didn't mention this in our Hot 100 chat, but um, Posty had a song debut in the top 10, right, with uh, Doja Cat. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, the it, the uh, I Like You is the name of it, I believe. Yeah. Um But I have to say, like, I feel like the kind of quieter debut than we maybe were expecting. I know that Post was one that we mentioned in our conversation about this, like, week after week after week after week of new blockbuster albums. And he, um, of course, did not, you know, continue the trend of us saying it's the biggest week of the year. Um, But I feel like he didn't really have any songs that were popping before the album came out, which I think every other song or album that we um, said that about in the last like week actually had that had like kind of a hit single or something Mm. approaching it. I guess future didn't maybe. Well, future Kendrick and. Oh, because Kendrick didn't didn't include um, 
his yeah i should have known that bad bunny's album just dropped out of the sky and future's album well then i guess i don't have an explanation here's my explanation okay what's your explanation and and i said it in a very neutral way in my story on sunday Mm -hmm. posey's last album hollywood's bleeding debuted at number one on the billboard 200 with a very big week i don't have the number in front of me but it was much bigger than this Mm -hmm. um that also came out at a different time like we still had merch bundles and ticket bundles Mm -hmm. and yada yada but even if you just looked at the streams, like the streaming numbers were a lot bigger on the last album. But the last album came into release week with a bunch of top 10 hits already under its belt. Wow yeah. was on that album. Sunflower. Circles, um, Circles was on it. Uh, there was, I forget what the other, there was another track. There was like four top 10s that were already on the album before it came out. Plus, he was coming off of... Um, the sustained success of the previous album, which was so big. And he was building into Hollywood's Bleeding, which was, I think, a very big moment for him where he kind of, you know, really staked his claim as this genre blurring artist, hip Mm -hmm. hop and rock and pop and alt and kind of country vibes. And he was I mean, he was all over the place. Yeah. And I think I think people were so eager to hear that album. Also, it had more tracks than this album. Mm. Um, And that. You know, in a world that is very focused on streaming, the more tracks you have, the more streams you can get. Yeah. And I think that was just kind of it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll see if this album, you know, you know, sort of picks up more life as as we go along, as people discover the album. You never know. It could maybe it could go to number one. Um, All right. Well, the last bit of chart news, uh, staying with the Billboard 200, Prince and the Revolution's archival live album, which is titled Prince and the Revolution live debuts at number 22 uh, it marks the 33rd top 40 charting album for prince and the 47th charting album in total for prince on the billboard 200 uh, this is also unbelievably uh the f- considering how like prolific prince was both as a studio musician as well as a live performer this is the first time a live album from Prince has ever been on the Billboard 200 chart. That is shocking. It's I like I initially thought I'm like, oh, maybe I don't know. I'm sure maybe some weird stray kind of like low lying thing charted. No. And honestly, he hasn't really had that many live projects. I was going to say, did he have more like live singles? Because I no. feel like I can think I can like I feel like I can think of live recordings that I would hear on the radio. What well to be fair, a couple of the songs on the Purple Rain album, mm. including Purple Rain, are effectively live recordings. Yeah, um, live at the club that you see in the mm-hmm. Purple Rain movie. But I don't. I mean, he, he maybe, but really, he's. Uh, it's still weird. It's weird yeah. to me, um, especially when you think of someone like the Rolling Stones, who have had a bajillion live albums chart on the Billboard 200. And right. so it's just weird. But now you kind of think like, well, maybe there's a bunch of live material in the vaults just waiting to be released from the uh, Prince archive in the future. Yeah. Um, a few notes on this particular live album. Uh, this concert was recorded at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York, on March 30th. 1985 during the Purple Rain tour in support of the Purple Rain film and album and was initially commercially released on VHS cassette tape as a home video in 1985. Yes. 
the video of the concert was later included in a deluxe reissue of the Purple Rain album in 2017. And I remember um, watching because they uploaded some uh, video footage. I think maybe the entire video might have been up on YouTube. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I'm like, man, I wish I wish there was like a better quality of this because Mm. you really wanted to see Prince and the Revolution at their height playing Let's Go Crazy and Purple Rain and Little Red Corvette. You wanted to see that. And I was like, oh, this is cool, but the sound could be better. The video could be better. Well, clearly someone else thought the same idea because what they did is they took that video, remastered it, upgraded the sound, uh, made it look really, really good considering how old it is. And now they've released it as a standalone album. Like So the first time ever this is coming out as an audio album. And of course, there's a bunch of different deluxe editions of the album, uh, including one that has three vinyl LPs, two CDs, and a Blu-ray disc of the concert that sells for just a low, low $120. You can also just buy a digital download of the album if you want, or a digital download of the concert. Katie, you should go check this out. It looks pretty awesome. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, if, um, you know, if, if you think of like, oh, like Madonna in 1990 for the Blonde Ambition Tour or Prince for the Purple Rain Tour or Bruce mm. Springsteen for like the Born in the USA Tour. Like you think of those tours, you're like, people need to do whatever they can to make sure that those things are cleaned up, archived, stored, mm-hmm. digitally remastered and made in pristine condition as possible. So they aren't mm-hmm. just lost to the wilds of, you know, someone's dusty vault. Yep. Okay, I'm getting done all off off my pedestal. Um, <laughs> Katie, your turn. <laughs> okay, well, Keith, last week on Thursday night, Britney Spears married her boyfriend of five years, Sam Asghari, in an intimate at-home wedding ceremony. And from the photos and videos that the couple have shared so far on Instagram, it looks like a fairy tale affair complete with countless white and pink roses and even a horse-drawn carriage for them to leave in at the end of wow. the night. But the real fun came the next day, Friday when various videos from the event started circulating online, including probably the most viral of them all, which showed Britney with a group of wedding guests that included Selena Gomez, Drew Barrymore, Paris Hilton, Donatella Versace, who designed her gown for the evening, and Madonna, all singing Vogue. Well, okay. A a chunk of Vogue. Go ahead, Keith. Uh, many people noted that not everyone was singing. This. Oh, well, <laughs> some people I don't think Donatella in. knew any of the words, but apparently Selena struggled a little bit, too, according to Twitter. <laughs> one one. This is just an amazing pop culture moment. Yes. Britney Spears, a wedding. Madonna, Donatella, Paris Hilton, Selena Gomez, Drew Barrymore and Britney at the, the wedding. Doing a little bit of Vogue. Yeah. And then you think of the sort of the history of all these individuals, both together, you know, like, uh, you know, Britney and Madonna, you know, on the VMAs and me against the music and singing, you know, like a virgin and kissing with Christina. And then you think of like Donatella and her history and like Donatella Versace did Britney's wedding dress. And Mm -hmm. you think of Versace's history with Madonna and you think Mm -hmm. of just the sheer fabulousness of having Selena Gomez like pop superstar like in the same room with Britney and Madonna always uh talked about her admiration for Britney and and wanting to you know get to that level of pop stardom and you know yeah it's 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 one of those it's rare and maybe I'm over like excitable about it but I do think that this (laughs) this I do think that these images in the video 
I think just when you think that you can't be sort of excited by a group of people being together, you can be. So when yes. people are very blase about, oh, so-and-so like showed up at Coachella with whoever, I'm like, <laughs> actually, this particular ensemble is pretty freaking crazy, amazing pop culture-y moment. Yay. Yeah. And I feel like even the day leading up to the wedding, um, you know, the news came out the night before that they were getting married. And I think that even then people were having mixed emotions. Um, you know, is is Britney rushing into this marriage? Should, you know, like she just got out of this conservatorship should she be making big life decisions right now etc cetera, etc cetera. and then when it all happened and, and all these like joyous photos and videos came out and how absolutely like ecstatic and gorgeous she looked in all of them as well it's like I think everyone started focusing on all the happy good elements of this day and this moment for her and the freedom of it all and like how beautiful it is. I mean, I, and I, the other thing that all the women have in common that you, you know, were saying all these connections between these women is that all of them very publicly spoke out on Britney's behalf when not everyone was during the conservatorship battle. And mm. then they actually showed up for her in person on the happiest day of her life to back her up and support her in real life, not just like on Twitter as a performative sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's beautiful. I think the whole I thing is really lovely. I, I do wonder, like, I wonder if there were, well, maybe, I don't know. Do you, do you know this? Like, were, were there other kind of notable sort of celebrity type people there? And this just happened to be the images that we saw? Or was this kind of like, or was it actually not as like mega blowout pop culture? Those, you know? That is the A-list of the Got wedding it guest list. Um, there were a couple other names you've heard of, like Maria Menounos, who is a friend and who's interviewed Britney throughout the years and like Ansel Elgort for some reason. I don't know. So okay. like there were other names of people that you know, but <laughs> sure. the, the videos with the, those women, I mean, those are the women. Um, Paris's mother, Kathy Hilton, was also there. I mean, there were other people whose names you know. Um, and then there were some other videos shared too. Madonna in her Instagram post, she shared a photo of her kissing Britney, which, of course, uh, you know, made everyone think about the iconic MTV VMAs performance. Right. Um, and then uh, in her. Also her and Britney dancing to Like a Virgin. Correct. That was in Britney's um, video that she shared on Saturday. There was a little snippet of um, the wedding DJ very craftily playing Like a Virgin and Madonna and Britney out in the middle of the dance floor. Getting why, down. Why didn't anyone play me against the music? Oh, I mean, maybe it did. Maybe they did. Like, maybe the videos are still coming. Oh I mean, God. they have all these moments together and they've they're definitely have touched on a lot of them so we'll see maybe that one will come around too and then madonna in her caption um on instagram wrote britney you look so happy and in love i wish you and sam all the best last night was fun and sweaty hashtag royal family so mm. just i i don't know just the whole thing was really sweet and madonna especially like she's been super vocal about her love and support for britney over the years so just so fun to see and but i have to say my absolute favorite Wedding guest social media share came from Drew Barrymore. Uh, in her caption on Instagram, she wrote, What I learned from Ever After, which, if you don't know that movie, it was uh, Drew's 1998 film that reimagines the story of Cinderella. So she wrote, What I learned from Ever After is that we must rescue ourselves and yet still want the fairy tale. And that's exactly what Brittany did. I couldn't be happier for her intrepid journey. So I thought that was beautiful and of course again we mentioned the conservatorship but drew is making a reference when she says britney rescued herself and then chose this fairy tale 
to her battling to get out of this conservatorship and be able to make her own life choices since um, that controlled her personal and professional life for more than 13 years. And Drew actually had an interview with Variety earlier this year where they asked her like who she wants to interview very badly on her talk show, her daytime show. And she said, Brittany, and she said, we can have a unique conversation. There's not a ton of us out there who have publicly lost our freedom, had breakdowns in front of everyone, become punchlines and fought our way back. Yeah, didn't, so, didn't didn't also Drew emancipate herself from her from mother? her mom? And yep. she she had the most challenging childhood that was so in the public view, and she struck she clawed and struggled her way back and took ownership of her life. And yeah, it's like I mean, actually, as just an aside, whenever you watch Drew Barrymore's show and you see her interview someone, you feel like you're getting like a kind of interview that you wouldn't get anywhere else because of her history. The same way that when Kelly Clarkson interviews another musician, you, you feel like you're getting a completely different kind of real interview, like real talk. Um, A conversation. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I I just thought that was also a lovely connection because I don't think these are two people that we have connected previously. Mm. Um, And uh, Brittany referred to Drew in her Instagram caption as her girl crush. So it was just just adorable all around. And I don't know, my like little 90s heart is exploding. The whole thing was just so lovely and um, and sweet and such a nice Full circle moment. I mean, I also didn't mention that Brittany and Sam um, lost a pregnancy uh, a few months ago. And I think that was part of the concern about, like, is she rushing into this? Like, after that, you know, trauma. And, you know, I feel like the whole thing about her getting out of the conservatorship was her just being able to make her own choices. And this was the choice that she made. And it feels like a joyful, beautiful choice. How long have her and Sam been a couple? Five, Five years. years, yeah. Good grief! They met well, on they, the set of the. How, they met on the set of the Slumber Party music video where he was a dancer and uh-huh. like model, and uh, yeah. I was going to so say, they, by the way, if you haven't seen any pictures of this gentleman, he basically looks like he'd be Prince Charming. He's not exactly um, he's lacking in the attractive. A Disney prince. He <laughs> yes. looks like a Disney prince. Has the jawline good, of a Disney prince. Good for you, Brittany. I know good it's really you. sweet. It's really sweet. And in other very, very happy news uh, from this past weekend, Jennifer Hudson has now secured her, her EGOT status after Sunday's Tony Awards. Um, she was one of the dozens of producers behind the best musical winner, A Strange Loop. Um, so this is actually the same way that uh, John Legend secured his EGOT as well, right? Wasn't he a producer on a Tony-winning show? He was. I don't remember yeah. the name of the show, but it was it was a play that he won that year. Yeah, and, um, you know, Keith, you noted that, you know, we think of EGOT as being a very, like, elite club, and it is. There are 17. Is that including Jennifer Hudson? 17 yes. winners now? Yeah. So there are 17 EGOT winners, but five of those 17... So 30% of them have secured the EGOT since 2018. So that's kind of wild. We're talking about four years and 30% of them. Like, so why? Do you have mm-hmm. theories, Keith? Um, okay, well, I think I have lots of theories. I think <laughs> I, I think maybe it's getting easier or seemingly easier because there are so many Emmy award categories that you can mm. possibly win in. And you have both the daytime Emmys and the primetime Emmys. 
Yeah, Paul actually has a whole article about the there's many people who uh, were in a Tony winning musical, then performed a song from said Tony winning musical on a daytime show and received an Emmy for that performance. Yeah, there's an Emmy category for like best like musical performance on a daytime show. I'm like, so when Ariana Grande comes on to Good Morning America and (laughs) sings, you know, God is a woman that can be Emmy nom. Okay, cool. Sure. <laughs> um, well, that's how Ben Platt, friend of the mm-hmm. podcast, Ben Platt, uh, got three of the awards in the EGOT. He um, was, of course, in um, Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Mm-hmm. He won the Tony Award for um, uh, actor in a musical. Then he won the Grammy for Best Cast, cast album. Recording mm-hmm. uh, from the Grammys for Dear Evan Hansen. And he won a Daytime Emmy Award for performing something relating to Dear Evan Hansen on daytime TV. So um, I guess maybe they were thinking the film version of Dear Evan Hansen starring Ben Platt, you know, will get nominated for Ooh. it. No, did, that didn't work Ooh. out. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so I think the Emmys, because you can be like a producer mm-hmm. nominated for you know, any number of things at the Emmys, I think that can help, you know, secure you a nomination. Um, The same thing at the Tony Awards, where the way the Tonys are, if you're nominated, if you're one of the producers of a nominated musical for Best Musical or Best Revival of a Musical or Best Play or Best Revival of a Play, and you're a producer and you win, you get a Tony Award. So there can be dozens of people uh, that could win a Tony like this yeah. year for a strange loop. It wasn't just Jennifer Hudson that won as a producer. RuPaul also won a Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who else won? Um, uh, I think Pasek and Paul uh, mm. were yep, also that. winners. Yep. It's it's kind of wild. So I think, you know, the hardest one to get might be the Oscar. Uh, yeah, I think that that's probably and and so it's kind of funny to look at Jennifer Hudson as the example because she sort of did it all backwards. She got the yeah. Oscar first and then completed the set. Um, but uh, actually, the uh, did Thirty Rock invent the concept of the EGOT? Because that's where I first heard of it. Uh, Tracy Morgan's no. character, Tracy Jordan. Yes, yes. I don't think it was invented. On, I don't think it was invented on Thirty Rock. I think it was a thing that like you might know, need to look um, this up. That's where um, I first heard of it. And feel free so to look it up while I ramble. We're talking about 15 years ago. Um, feel free to so. look it up while I ramble okay, about where I think the EGOT came from. I think it just came from. Okay, sort of- actually, this is what this article is telling me. It was conceptualized by the actor Philip Michael Thomas in 1984. But it was the 30 Rock storyline featuring Tracy Morgan, who <laughs> he he did a one man play uh, to in order to secure his Tony. <laughs> And that's what that's where I first heard of it. Apparently, that's what kind of turned it into a bit of a cultural touchstone. I'm just going to say, like, I wonder if the the idea of so many more people talking about it in the last 10 to 15 years made it something that people actually seek out are trying to get. now. Yeah. You know what I mean? John John Legend's publicist and management really basically just said, hey, how do we do this? How do we uh, finagle our way into this? He, of course, got his Oscar for the um, Selma song, Glory. Um, yeah, so, and, and he has, like, some weird Emmy as well as a producer. So, like, 
I'm not calling I mean, out John Legend. He's very multi-talented. No one is diminishing these folks' talents. Um, but I think when you think of EGOT, I think you generally think of, oh, like you, you think of these four awards as being, on first blush, as performance-oriented. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, I put up the money or helped put up the money or produce something, and that's how I got... That's not what people think of when they think and of maybe, Tonys. Maybe as Oscars. this concept continues to become more and more in the mainstream, maybe there will be a sort of like he's an he's a performance EGOT winner. <laughs> versus yeah, well, there, there's also people who who say like, you know, oh, like um Liza Minnelli is you know, EGOT. I'm like, no, but she's she has. Not. Is it a special Tony? Is that how? Because that happens a lot, right? Yeah, there's people are like, well, they have a special award. I'm like, that doesn't count. It wasn't competitive. Yeah. Um, um, speaking who, of which, who was who was the Barbara list Streisand of folks? is on your list of people who are just one award shy, and shockingly for Barbara Streisand, that one award is the Tony. Because everyone, I think, would think they think of her as such like this Broadway, you know, musical actress. Um, but she, I believe, has also a special Tony. So people incorrectly call her an EGOT winner and she's not. Right. Um, but uh, you mentioned some other pop shop favorites who are only one award away from completing an EGOT. Um, they include Please tell Cher. me who they are because I don't have that list in front of me Oh, anymore. I've got it. I got it. Cher, uh, who has everything but a Tony. Trent Reznor has everything but a Tony. He just needs to, like, help out produce on... something. Yeah. Well, oh, he, I guess he could produce, but he could make the music for It's much something. easier to just pony up some money for something. That's fair. <laughs> uh, Liza Minnelli, you mentioned, um, who she actually is only... Actually, Liza's only shy a Grammy. Yeah, which is weird. Also weird. Um, Elton John, shy an Emmy. Uh, that could... that Elton, yeah. just go for it. You could do that real quick. <laughs> Uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, who's missing an Oscar, and Quincy Jones, also missing an Oscar. And some friends of the pod, uh, get former guests, Cindy Lauper, missing an Oscar. Uh, Bette Midler, missing an Oscar. Lin-Manuel Miranda, all of these are missing an Oscar. Lin-Manuel Miranda, the aforementioned Ben Platt. And um, our friend Mark Shaman. Another one where the Oscar's still within, so much within reach. You know, I wonder, maybe Bette Midler and Mark Shaman can team up to both win an Oscar... Uh, early next year for their With routine the Hocus, in Hocus, Hocus Pocus 2? 2. Absolutely. I mean, the answer is yes. Let's do it. Maybe maybe Bet and Mark can co-write a song and that's the way for Bet to get her Oscar. Honestly, that's the best idea ever. Print it, make it happen. They're probably the, the song is probably already done. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the yeah, song I'm is sure. made. <laughs> the song is made um, and it's called Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. Put, Hocus Pocus. T-O-O. Parenthetical title. Uh, I put a spell on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's called. It's called the Hocus Pocus Pokey. Oh my god! Oh no! Please, please, and we'll god. turn this witch around. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, it's been it's been a long show. Okay, so your Katie's you're pointing at me. This is like I'm being a TV producer, and now it's time for. <laughs> now it's time for you to wrap the heck up. <laughs> All right, and now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Check it. Seems like yesterday we used to rock the show. I laced the track, you locked the flow. So far from hanging on the block the dough. No 25 years ago, Puff Daddy and Faith Evans' I'll Be Missing You, featuring 112, debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. 
The tribute to the Notorious B.I.G. spent 11 weeks atop the list, starting with the June 14, 1997 dated chart. Uh, Biggie was, of course, a close friend of Puff Daddy, now Diddy, and was the husband of Evans. The song sampled the police's own 1983 number one Hot 100 hit, Every Breath You Take, which was written solely by Sting. It was the second of five number ones for Puff Daddy, and the only number one for both Faith Evans and the vocal group 112. I'll Be Missing You finished 1997 as the year-end number two song on the Hot 100, and later won the Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. So there you have it, 25 years ago this week, I'll Be Missing You hit number one on the Hot 100. Um, okay, we've reached the end of our big show. Any parting words, aside from all the words we just said? It's <laughs> a lot of words. <laughs> uh, I don't have any parting, parting words, though. No. Oh, but I do know what we should go out on this week. Me Against the Music? Yes, no. obviously. What, was, that, was that really going to be your really suggestion? That's really what I was going to say. It's just me and me. You, you and, totally and know me. that that's... Yeah, and me. And me over here. Don't forget and, me. And, and uh, me. <laughs> it, it, that, that song, you're like, you know the song was completely done before someone had the idea of getting Madonna on the track. And then they just tucked her in. And then they just sort of spliced her in. It's just me against the music. And me! It's like, should we have changed it to and us against the music? <laughs> it was <Yeah>. too late. <laughs> hmm. um, okay, me against the music, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! It's me against the music. Uh-huh. It's just me and me. Yeah. Come on. Hoop.